Freedom. And I'm getting free from my cord right now. It's a day of freedom. And so there's no greater conversation on a day that speaks of independence than the freedom that Jesus brings. Jesus brings freedom, does he not? Because he does. In John chapter 8, verse verse 31, says this. Jesus said to those who believe. Everybody said, he said to those who believe. That's right. If you abide or continue in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus is literally giving us a a prescription for freedom. He's literally telling us the path in which we can have freedom. The first thing it is is that you have to be a believer in Jesus. Nobody can set you free but Jesus. Dr. Phil can't set you free, right? Oprah can't set you free. The only one that can set you free, his name is Jesus. He's the only one who has the authority to set you free because of what he's, because of what he's done. That's why people that don't come to Christ and they look for freedom, they look for all these things in the wrong places, they never really come to it because the one who sets free, is, his name is Jesus. He's the great liberator and the great emancipator. So the first thing is, is Jesus said to those who believe. So he's talking to believers, right? Talking to believers. And he says, if you abide or continue in my word... This is the first thing. And and what what does he talk about? He says, listen, you've got to learn to live in my word and you've got to learn to continue in my word. What does that mean? It means one of the first things you have to do once you become a believer in Christ is you have to make a quality decision that you will not quit. Quitting is not an option to the Christian. Say it with me. Change is my option, but quitting is not my option. Jesus does not give us an option to quit. He doesn't. And so this is what he's saying. You must learn to live in my word and continue in my word. What does this look like? Well, one of the ways you, one of the ways this, one of the practical applications of that is when God's made a promise to you or when you find a promise within the scripture and you begin to pursue that promise and you begin to do the things that relate to that promise, you're not to quit. You're to pursue truth until truth becomes reality. As Christians, what happens is, is we're, we're culturalized by the culture or we're culturalized by the church and we're not culturalized by the kingdom. The kingdom culture is completely different than church culture. The, church, the kingdom culture is completely different than world's culture, right? So what happens is, is in the world culture and oftentimes even in church culture is they tell you to move by your reality, Whatever your reality is, that's what you, that's, that you just got to make the decision. It's just obvious. It's just right in front of you. Any, any idiot could understand it. Well, that's not, that's not true if God's got a word that's contrary to that. We, we pursue the truth of God's word regardless of our reality. And we pursue truth to the extent and we press into truth until truth becomes your reality. Truth will become your reality. Be not weary in your well-doing for in due season you will what? If you don't quit, right? If we pursue truth according to God's purposes and we do it the way he says and what the way he wants to, the the, the transformation of truth into our life is inevitable. It will happen. The problem is, is most of us quit. Well, I tried for two weeks, pastor. It just didn't happen. I prayed. I prayed. I prayed once. Oh, I got actually got down on my knees. Oh, and I prayed and the Lord didn't answer. Must not be God's will. Well, who told you that? Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. You keep asking, you keep seeking, you keep knocking, you keep knocking until it it comes your way, right? You pursue it until it becomes yours. Christians quit all the time. We give up all the time. 
It's always, say with me, it's always too soon to quit. Who told you to quit? There's nowhere in the Bible where Jesus tells you to quit other than to quit sinning. That's the only place he tells you to quit. Stop doing the stupid stuff that's causing you destruction. Go and sin no more. Quit that. Admit it and quit it. Cut it out. Go a different way. That's the only time the Lord ever tells us to quit. But he never tells us to quit on his promises. He never quit, tells us to quit on our pursuits. He never, according to him, he never tells us to do that. So if you want to really experience freedom, listen, this kingdom is a reality. This isn't something that is talked about. This is something that can be experienced. And that is exactly what you find over and over and over in the scripture is the Lord calling us not to a level of knowledge, but to a level of experiential knowledge. There's a huge difference. When you get born again, right? So somebody says, well, how do you know Jesus is Lord? He lives in me, right? When you get born again, Christ comes to live in you. Do I have any born again believers here? Right? I'm not looking for, Jesus isn't looking for somebody who's intellectually convinced. He's looking for people who are born again, who have had a conversion experience. Intellectual belief does not save you. Conversion is what saves you. You give your life to Christ. You give your heart to Jesus. You ask him to come inside and he actually does it. And something's different. You were you who were dead and now you're alive. You can see colors again. Something's changed. You understand what I'm talking about? Can I get a witness here? Anybody? Right. Exactly. We, God has called us to experiential knowledge. So when people say, how do you know Jesus is real? Because he lives inside of me. I can't explain it. I can't define it. I can't give you an equation of it. But it's experiential knowledge. You can't tell me Jesus isn't Lord because I've experienced it. You can't tell me Jesus isn't real because I've experienced him. Do you see the difference? It's not something you've read from a book or something somebody told you about. It's an experiential knowledge that changes you. That's what God wants from every part of his word. He doesn't want us reading poetry. He wants us living a reality. That's different, isn't it? Right? Totally different. Totally different. When you live the reality of what he actually says and the truth becomes real to you. See? Truth becomes your reality. Jesus is Lord. There's the truth, right? You give your life to Christ and truth becomes your reality. Forgiveness comes into you. Salvation comes into you. Restorate. You don't have any clue what just happened to you. You have no, no idea because it's beyond your understanding. Intellectual belief does not save anybody. Well, I believe Jesus is Lord. What's James say? You do well. For even the devils believe and they tremble. It's not about belief from the mind. It's about conversion from the heart. It's an absolute total surrender, not based upon intellectual belief. If you get it, great, but it has nothing to do with intellect. It has everything to do with heart. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. Now, believe in your mind. He says, know what is true in your heart, even if it's past what you can understand. There's a guy here. I tell the story all the time. His name's Dave. You see Dave. You'll see Dave around here. We call him decorative Dave, Dave Pavone. He'll tell you a story. Hung out with Christians the whole time. I had people that come in here and he started coming here and, and all of his friends, some of his friends were here and they were like, Pastor, you need to talk to this guy. You need to talk to this guy. He's not a Christian, but he keeps hanging out in church. I'm like, so what? You know, like, what's the big deal with that, right? I mean, that's not a big deal. Let him stick around for a while. And he's like, no, you need to ask him, like, what's going on? I'm like, all right, let's go to lunch. And they've been trying to minister to this guy for, like, forever. So where, you know where we go? We ended up going there. KB had a restaurant called Lost and Found Saloon. So we go to the, I didn't even get it at the time, but Jay, Dave ends up giving his life to Jesus at the Lost and Found Saloon, right? 
And so we're sitting at a table and I start talking to him about it. And he's just saying, it just doesn't make sense to my mind. He's like, I don't understand it. He's like, you know, I, I can, I can kind of get it. I said, what is your heart? He goes, my heart feels like this is right. He goes, but I can't get it. I can't get my mind around it. I said, Jesus has never told you to get your mind around it. That's a later, that's something much later because you're renewed in the, you're renewed in the spirit of your mind. You're transformed, Romans 12, 1, through the renewing of your mind. You get access to the mind of Christ when you become born again. So your mind has nothing to do with this. It's your heart. And so he's sitting at a table after about 30 minutes, we're eating tacos and he looks at me and his friends, have been, there's three of his friends and they're all leaning in waiting, you know, what's he going to say? And I told him, I said, you can come to Christ without ever fully understanding it. He's like, what are you trying to tell me? I said, I'm trying to tell you, you can become born again and your mind has nothing to do with it. And he said, so you're telling me I can give my life to Jesus and get born again, even if I don't understand it. I said, absolutely, because that's not what the Bible commands you. It doesn't tell you to understand it. It tells you to believe it. It doesn't even tell you to believe it from your heart. It tells, your mind tells you to believe it from your heart. Is that not what it says? Right? We're born again of the heart, not of the mind. Your mind comes afterwards. What we are used to being led by, we're used to being led by our mind we're led by our intellect. The kingdom doesn't work like that. The kingdom, you're led by the spirit, by the voice, the akaleo of the spirit upon your spirit, and the mind follows. The mind submits to spirit. That's the kingdom. You understand? Totally different. Totally different. Jesus says, you must abide and live from my word. Quitting is not an option. Everybody say it. I must develop the art of continuing if you quit, the Bible says, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is weak. If every time Jesus comes to look for you, you've given up your post. He says, stand here and wait for me. Stand here and believe me. Don't do anything but have faith and believe what I'm going to do. And then Jesus goes away and he comes back to try to give you the next order of instructions. And you've given up and left. You're never going to move forward, right? You know why? Because Jesus is the master of makeup exams. So here's how the world is working in our life, right? So this, I'm going to show you again how this works, right? This isn't, let's all go to church and get tickled. This is a kingdom relationship. This is a kingdom lifestyle. We are called into a lifestyle, a way of following Jesus. So every part of our life is to be integrated into him. What happens is, is the Lord gives you an instruction, and he will not give you the second instruction until you're obedient to the first instruction. We don't like that. We want the short road, right? So what we want, this is what I'm going to show you, right? What humans want, we want results, don't we? Just get me there, you know? There's a bullet train to Orlando, that's what I'm taking. Forget driving, we're driving, we're, going, we're getting there. Forget all this. Jesus wants process. He's not interested in destination, Destination isn't a problem for him. He likes the process. He likes the relationship. He likes working with you and communing with you and walking with you and journeying with you. We can't stand that, right? That's not what we want, but that is exactly what he wants. He wants process. He wants through the process, you begin to integrate your life with him and he begins to integrate your life with you. You begin to integrate your life with him and he begins to integrate his life with you. And the two become one. Right? We are conformed and transformed through process. Through process. It's important to know that. Because sometimes you're going to believe God for something. He's going to tell you something. And he's going to give you an instruction that seems completely unrelated to what he told you you could have. You, Lord gives you a vision. This is your calling for your life. You're going to go, wow, I feel like I have a direction for my life. What's my first thing? Go read your Bible. Oh, 
But what does that have to do with the, with the, with, uh, the direction of my life? He's, he's going to begin to teach you practical things that are necessary, not just to achieve the goal, but to sustain the goal. Achieving isn't the problem. Sustaining is. Oh, come on. Yes, it's true. All right. Preach. Quitting is not an option. You have to develop the art of continuance. Hebrews 10.38. The just, the righteous, that's us. You're right because of Jesus. You're right in Christ. Righteous will live by faith. But if, my, if they draw back, I will not be pleased with them. God doesn't like us drawing back. He doesn't like us paying for real estate twice. Right? You make an advance and you can't go any further, so you even give up the ground that you just took. He doesn't like that. He, he has no pleasure in that. That's crazy. You know, if you read the book of Revelation, Jesus is going down this list. I share it all the time. If you ever read it, in the book of Revelation, the ones that Jesus condemns first are the cowards. Do you know that? I can think of a lot of different people that, that, will, that on that last day that stand before the Lord that will hold an account for their lives and that are not believers. Right? So the unbeliever comes before the Lord to be judged. Right? You're already judged. You're judged righteous. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You go before the Bema seat, Christian. You don't go before the white throne. You go before the rainbow throne. You go before the disco ball. Oons, 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 oons. That's where the rainbow's coming from. Jesus is sitting on a throne. There's a big disco ball, rainbow lights. That's what the Bible calls it. It's a rainbow. There's lights going everywhere because Jesus is partying. Oons, oons, oons. Here come my people. You go before a seat of reward. You understand? Rewarded, yes, with eternal life, but everything you did for him in this life, he will reward you according to what you did for him or with him. That's the reward of the believer, not just inherent eternal life. There's rewards beyond rewards. Pursue the reward. Cast every weight beside us. Pursue the upward calling in Christ Jesus. Whatever he tells you to do, do it. That's what you'll be rewarded on. The, 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 the unrighteous go before a throne. It's called white. You don't want to go through that one. Eh? You ever have these people have near-death experiences and somebody's like, I was going down the tube and it was all this glittering rainbow light. That's the direction you want to go. I was going towards the white light. Get away from the white light. The white light is not where you want to go. Right? You want the disco. You want the party. Right? <laughs> you want Studio John 316. That's what you want. You know, Studio 51. You want Studio John 316. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, Pastor. You're just speaking in a really unsanctified way. Well, welcome to Elevate. <laughs> but of all the people that come on, of all the people that stand before the Lord on that day before the white throne, the first group he condemns is the cowardly. The cowardly. Can you imagine? I can think of a lot of people that are going to be first in line, but the first ones he wants, he's like, bring the cowards up here. The cowards are the first ones. Too afraid to give your life to me. Too afraid. Too afraid. Hmm? Too afraid to give up what you thought was your gain. Too afraid to lay your life. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on here. But what you need to understand is that Jesus expects courage. Right? And you don't have to worry where the courage is going to come from. You have the Holy Spirit. You want courage? Look to the Holy Spirit. Kratos is a Greek word, and it means the strength of God. It's yours. You just have to activate it. Holy Spirit, I need the strength of God now. Call upon the Lord. Ask him for strength. He'll give it to you. He'll give it to you. The blood of the lion flows in your veins, Christian. You are born by the blood of Jesus. You are no longer your own. You belong to him. You are not born of the bloodline of the earth. You're born of the bloodline of heaven. Lion's blood is in you. Royal blood is in you. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? 
You need strength to stand because your flesh is weak? Welcome to the planet. Ask him. He'll give it to you. You need wisdom in that moment because you don't have it? He'll give it to you. You see again, where are we at? We're back to the integration of the relationship, right? It's not apart from him. Everything is with him. Everything is in him. That's the point. Let us not grow weary in our well-doing for in due season we will reap if we don't faint. God sets you on a course. Don't quit. Don't quit. Fulfill the mandate that he lays down before you. He says, this is what I want for you. When you get to this point, ask me and I'll give you another instruction. This is how he leads you. All right? The basic learning of all believers. This is why we can't get out of preschool as Christians because we don't understand one plus one equals two. And so the church just sits around sucking its thumb, playing with pinwheels and cotton candy, acting like we manifest the kingdom when we don't. When we don't. Oh, Jesus is all about my plan. He's not about your plan. He's called you to be about his plan. Your life in him. I'm called to be a singer. Yeah, but take that music and partner it with the Lord. What does God want to do with what you have? I'm called to be a business leader. Yes, that's true. But what does God want to do with that? All of those things may be true. You may understand yourself, but it's in him and with him. God's given it to you. I just had a guy here this week. He was sitting on the, on the, um, in the room there, and he was asking me a question. He's like, you know, you said last week uh, you know, that everybody has a ministry. And he goes, well, what, what do you think my ministry was, right? And I looked at him. I said, well, every believer has the ministry of reconciliation, which means we're all called to call people to Jesus in some way. Right? All of us are called to find a way to reconcile people to Christ, whether it's through compassion and testimony. Even inviting, inviting people to church is the most basic thing you can do. You want to operate in a ministry of reconciliation, just walk around inviting people to church. What are you doing? This is my ministry. You know, how effective is it? Who knows? But at least you're operating in the ministry of reconciliation. That's the most basic thing you can do is invite people to a place where they can hear the gospel. It's the most basic, right? So we're all called to the ministry of reconciliation, but this particular person is a businessman. I said, you want to know what your business is? I'm going to tell it to you. I said, you're in the, your, your ministry is Deuteronomy 8.18. The Lord your God has given you the ability to obtain wealth to establish the covenant in the land. Because he was talking to me about like, you know, I'm not really good with kids. You know, I, you know, I, can't, I can't really talk publicly. But he's like, you know, I really understand these things and I'm really good at this. And I'm like, that's your ministry. You are called to go and harvest the wealth of the nations and establish the covenant of God with what he gives you. That's your ministry. Some of you are called to compassion, mercy, prayer, intercession. They're all ministries. Ministries. There's a difference between your occupation and your vocation. Your occupation is what you do for money. Your vocation is what you're called to do. It comes from the word voice. You have a voice to be spoken of in this kingdom. What is it? I don't know. Occupation is not vocation. Your voice is what? Some people, there are powerful prayer people here at this church. It's amazing. Their voice is through intercession. Their voice is through mercy. Their voice is through compassion. Their voice is through encouragement. Their voice is through organization. Everybody has a voice. It's just what is it? We're called to go into that voice. We're called to understand that voice and start to walk it out. And don't quit. So he says, if you, if you will continue, if you will make a quality decision that you're not going to give up on this thing, in my word, Jesus, say it with me, Jesus tells me to continue in his word, and once you say this, not a word, not a opinion, right? He doesn't tell us to, to follow an opinion. He doesn't tell us to follow somebody else's word. He says, follow my word. God's word is what? Logos, that's the written word. Rhema, the revelation word. And the prophe, which is the prophetic word. God speaks in all three of those spheres. 
right? God tells us to live and abide within my word. That's a whole other teaching. I could probably just go off on that, but I won't. I'm going to stay on this. It says this, Psalm 119, your word is like a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word, right? People want to learn to hear the Holy Spirit. We, I teach you this all the time. If you want to learn to hear the Holy Spirit, he speaks scripture. How does the Holy Spirit speak? He speaks scripture, right? Holy Spirit speaks. Does he speak Spanish? Yeah. Does he speak Greek? Yeah. Does he speak Portuguese? Yeah. Right? He speaks uh, Tagalog. He speaks Telugu. He speaks Mandarin. He speaks all of that. He speaks every language. But his language that he voices from is always scripture, which means it's not like he's actually quoting a verse. He might, but he will speak to you in the context of what is true. He will speak to you from the framework of the word, and he will speak truth. So it's very difficult at times. You can hear the Lord in a very primary way, like gaga gugu, Abba, Father. That's fine. You can hear basic things. But if people that want to learn to hear the Lord in a more broader context, you need to learn the Lord. You need to have a working knowledge of it. Doesn't mean you have to, need to have books memorized or anything. If you want to do that, hey, all in, go for it, right? But the Word with the Spirit is what we're called to be a part of. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The word without the spirit is a sword that just hacks people to pieces. And if you've been in church for a long time and there's not a lot of spirit there, the word, ha, 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 ah, ah, ah. <laughs> I was in a church and it was, I was, I was, I don't want to say where I was, but nonetheless, I was a part of the leadership team. Let me just put me in that frame. And there would be these conversations and it'd be like, uh, you know, all of these conversations about how we needed to enforce holiness on God's people. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, good luck, right? There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. So it's not my job to enforce holiness on you. It's my job to reconcile you to Christ and to teach you into the ways of his spirit. And the Holy Spirit will lead you into the truth. If I can get you to develop a relationship with them, we have to worry, you know, and it's like everybody's running around, oh, we got, any, you know, got all these problems, got all these problems. And even when we started this church, we'd have people going, you know how many problems are in the church? I'm like, yeah. I go, but if I sat you down, I could tell you five that you're not even aware of, you know? Oh, well, this church needs holiness. I say, how you doing? It doesn't work without the Holy Spirit, Christian, so stop trying. What you need to do is understand who you are. You're a son and a daughter. You understand that you're a son or a daughter of your father. And you need to live your life from the position that you have in Christ that's not based upon your actions. And when you realize I'm a son and my father has called me royal and my father has called me to this position, I'm not doing that crap anymore. Oh, it's true. You're a son of the highest. Is that what, is that what your father would want for you? You know, you were supposed to be about our father's business. We have identity issues. That's part of the problem. There's a lot of issues with that. But nonetheless, you cannot produce holiness without the Holy Spirit. You cannot. You need the Holy Spirit. God does not condemn you, but he wants you to partner with him. You cannot live righteously without the Spirit of God. Anybody want to try? Anybody want to come and testify of their holiness and how holy you are? Come on up here, right? And then I want your wife or your children or someone who actually lives with you to come up next because I'm going to hand them the microphone, right? As you testify of your holiness, I'm going to ask the wife, is that true? That's completely not true. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't be holy without the Holy Spirit. When you're in the Spirit, you're holy, right? This is what we have as Christians. This is the beauty and wonder of what we are. We get in the Spirit. We worship. We, we actually manifest our new creation. You are living as you will be eternally. And when you're in the Spirit, anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what it means to be in the Spirit? You know, you're in the Spirit. You're just like, wow. 
This is cool. I'm giving all my money away. Yeah, somebody hit my car. That's totally cool. I'm good. That's being in the spirit, right? When you're not in the spirit, you're flipping everybody off. You're like, what are you doing? You know, you're in this other world. That's you outside of the spirit versus you in the spirit. So you see, when you're in the spirit, love flows. When you're in the spirit, kindness flows. When you're in the spirit, hope flows, right? I'll give you another one. Self-condemnation is not there when you're in the spirit. If you're self-condemning, Bible says if, you, if your heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart and he knows everything. Get in the spirit and you know what's going to happen? You are actually going to like you. It's an amazing thing. You actually like you. You're like, man, I'm pretty cool. Yeah. I was having some issues with myself before, but now I'm in, you know, wow, I'm not, I'm not, you know. So that being said, no holiness without the Holy Spirit. All scripture. So how can a person cleanse their way? By taking heed to the word, right? All scripture is inspired by God and is useful. So the scripture is useful for what? Showing us what's wrong in our life, right? Righteousness is not determined by us. Righteousness is determined by the Lord. The Lord alone has the power and the authority, and he has not vacated it to tell us what is right and wrong, right? So and let's put it in a positive. Right? No one has the right to condemn you if the Lord has not condemned you. Who can condemn you? No one can condemn you. You're a son of the highest. Do you know what? Your opinion of you doesn't matter. Right? Your opinion doesn't matter. Your circumstances opinion of you doesn't matter. Your past's opinion of you doesn't matter. The people around you's opinion of you doesn't matter. The only one who has the authority to define you is Jesus. You do not have the authority to define you. Only the Lord has the authority. And he says you are loved on your worst day. He says you're my daughter. He says you're my son. He says you're created on purpose with a purpose. You are the righteousness of me. That's what he says. So when you condemn yourself, you don't have the right to, con you don't have that right. You understand? The Lord is the only one who has the right to say with me. I will no longer lower myself beneath the identity that the Lord has established for me. In Christ... I'm a son or a daughter of my father. I am a son or a daughter of the highest. I am divine royalty. Whether I understand it or not, this is what is true. I am divine royalty. Whether or not my reality brings it, shows me this or not, right? This is true. I will not allow another, come on, come on, this is good, to lower me beneath the standard or the identity that my heavenly father has placed upon me. I will never again allow myself to lower me beneath the standard that God has established for me. You understand that? That's a quality decision right there, is to marry yourself to the identity. He gave it to you. You didn't send in a resume. Anybody send in a resume and say, hey, I want to be a son of the highest. I want to be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I want to be the heir of this world and the one to come. Did you send in a resume for that? No. He gives it to you. Why? Because he's good. Because he's generous. Because he's kind. Let's just say that. The Lord is more generous. He's more kind. He's more loving. And he's more good than I think. Therefore, I must change the way that I think. You understand that? You got to change the way that you think. Because he's better than you think. Oh, come on. I got somebody. <laughs> if you will live in my word and let my words live in you, if you will make a decision not to quit and begin to integrate yourself into what I tell you, 
And then he says, and you will be my disciple. This is the next point. Disciple. What's disciple? Me, say it with me. Learner under discipline. You know what it means? It means somebody who actually learns God's word and does it. Wow. <laughs> Mind bomb, right? Jesus has a lot of fans in America, but he doesn't have a lot of disciples. He's got a lot of fans in his church, but he doesn't have a lot of disciples. Oh, yeah. Luke 6. Why do you call me Lord and not do what I say? Right? We should put that above at doorways. Why do we call him Lord and not do what he says? We're fans. We're not disciples. We have to take our lives and discipline. That's where the root word comes from. Discipline. Say it with me. Discipline is what I don't want to do. Right? Some of you, you know, you do things and you're trying to achieve a goal. And in order for you to achieve the goal, you have to discipline yourself to do something you didn't want to do. You don't want to get up at five o'clock in the morning, but you do it anyway. Because you're trying to reach a goal. You're trying to attain something. Discipline. That's where disciple comes from. We discipline ourselves into the very thing that we don't want to do. Oh, Jesus would never ask me to do anything that's uncomfortable. Really? You did that research where? Right? Who told you that? He's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your character. We have to discipline ourselves into the things. This is what makes us disciples is we do what he says, whether we want to or not. James says, what good is it if you listen to the word and you do nothing? What good is it if we get a rah-rah message, but we never apply the rah-rah to our life? What good is it if we get an instructional message, but we never apply the instructional message to our lives? What good is it? It says you are, those who hear God's word and do nothing are like people who look at themselves in the mirror and then forget what they look like. <laughs> Right? I think that's why we have Instagram pages, so we can remember what we look like, because we keep forgetting what we look like. We're like, hey, what's going on? In other words, you look at yourself in the mirror, and then you walk away, and you forget what you actually look like. So it says we need to not just hear the word, we need to do it. And so the results, the Lord says, if you'll do these things, the results are going to be this. You will know the truth. This word know is experiential knowledge. It's not gnosis, it's epignosis. Two different words in the Bible and the Greek for, know, for knowledge. One is gnosis, which is to know. Like when you go to, when you go to uh, college or you go to school or whatever and you have an exam and you know something, right? You know. Well, the book says I should fix the car like this. And then you get the old boy that comes up and says, well, my experience says we fix the car like this. You understand? So there, there's a difference between, again, that knowledge that we know and the knowledge that we experience. And the Lord says if you will do these things, you will begin to experience that my word is true. You will begin to experience that everything I said is a will become a reality if you will do these things. That's what he's saying. You will experience the truth, and when you come into the experience of that truth, you will be free. Let's just go back to the most basic. Born again, right? You're born again. You experience that truth, and you feel the freedom. You feel the security that you're loved and accepted. At least we hope you would if you know, if you know Jesus. That truth brings you in, that truth becomes an experience, brings you into a reality, and you experience freedom within that. Knowing that your, your father loves you on your worst day. Knowing that Jesus is for you even when you're against you. Knowing that he won't reject you. He won't reject you. All who come to me, I'm not going to cast away. He doesn't reject you. You belong to him. You walk away. You decide to cut off the relationship. He doesn't. Beautiful, right? So many times we cut off the relationship. How foolish. And we think, oh, God doesn't love me anymore. Who told you that? Who told you that? The Bible says this. There's a story where Israel turned away from him. He said, I will go to them to the valley of Achor. I will meet them in the place of their mourning. 
and I will speak kindly to her. He always relates to us in, as a, in romantic terms, right? So Jesus is basically a hopeless romantic at the core. So he said, I will go to my people who have rejected me. I will meet them in the midst of their despair, and I will beloved them. I will speak kindly to them. So let's just get the picture here in this verse that I'm speaking of. The people had rejected the Lord, and now they find themselves in despair. And the Lord said, I will go to their valley, and I will meet them there. And what is he going to do in the valley? Yeah, come on. <laughs> what is he going to do in the valley? He's going to speak kindly to us. I will speak kindly to her. I'm not going to rebuke her. I'm not going to correct her. I'm not going to knock her around and say, get your head together. He's not going to do that. I'm going to speak kindly. I'm going to woo her back to myself. That's what he says. He never gave up. You did. And now you're in a valley. And so Jesus comes to get you. And he's going to woo you. What's he going to say to you? Oh, look how you screwed up. Now he's going to speak kindly. He's going to say, come on, there's hope. Get up. It's all right. Let's go again. I just need to rest here for a while. Okay, let's rest here for a while. I'll help you. He'll, he'll meet you where you are. And he'll deal with you according to what the capacity that you have to receive. And then he goes a little further. He said, and I will lead her through the door of hope. What? What? I will meet her in the valley of her despair. I will speak kindly to her, and I will lead her through the door of hope. Who does that? Who does that? Jesus does. Exactly. Exactly. And you experience the truth of God's love, and it makes you free. Knowledge doesn't make you free. Experiential knowledge makes you free, Christian. That's right. My people will be destroyed because they have no knowledge. They refuse to learn. So our destruction is God's people. Right? Forget the people that don't know the Lord. God's people are destroyed because we refuse to continue to grow. Listen, the church is filled with knowledge. We are filled with knowledge. We have, a, we have churches filled with people who know all the right things but couldn't care less. Oh, that's a fact. We know all the right things, but we couldn't care less. We are more biblically literate than in any generation in history, but we can't manifest the kingdom. What is going on? Why is that? I have a guy, same guy, that asked me about his calling. This guy... And he'll do, I'll get them up. We're going to get these people on video because we have lots of testimonies here. This guy two years ago was borrowing money to pay his electric bill. Hmm? He comes here, starts asking me all these questions. What do I do? I give him some sort of an outline or a plan. I can't even remember, but I just, you know. You want that? That's what this looks like. You want that? Then you have to come here and do that. If you can't come here and do that, you're never going to get it. Never happen wishful thinking. He applies himself to it. Two years later, he's sitting in the, con in the precipice of multi-million dollar contracts. How is that possible? It's called kingdom gospel, Christian. He does what I tell him. This is what it looks like. If you can't get there, then you're not going to get there. If you can't do the things that Jesus is telling you to do in order to obtain the mountain that you're asking him for, then you're double-minded and you will never receive it. But if you can find a way to discipline yourself, put a knife in your head, a rag in your teeth and fight for it, or put a stick in your mouth and bite down and do it when you don't want to, then you're going to see him change you. But if you can't, it's all wishful thinking. It's tinkling cymbals and sounding brass. This is what we have to call the church to, into the th teachings of Christ. We, we teach these concepts, but we don't call the people into sanctification. We teach these concepts, but we don't call the people into order and say, go for that. You want that? What is it that you want? I feel like this is what God wants me to do. This is the same guy sitting in here asking me, what's my ministry? See? 
I said, your ministry is Deuteronomy 8.18. He's sitting, in the, he's sitting at the crossroads of multiple millions of dollars right now. It hasn't come, but he's gone from nothing, and he's well more, way more established, but he's, he's crossing a road where he's never been before. <laughs> yeah. Because he's willing to make a covenant with the Lord in that arena that if you will give this to me, then I will do this. And I say, don't wait till you have it. Do it now. By faith, do it now. Put faith on it. Don't, well, when I get a million dollars, then I'll give. It's not happening. You may get a million dollars through some extraordinary means that you possess. But, you, you know, but if you got it, you can lose it. But if Jesus gives it, it ain't going nowhere. Because the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. When the Lord gives it to you, it ain't going anywhere. No one has the right to take it from you because the, one, the Lord was the one who authorized it. Big difference. Other people, the same thing. You want to be used in a great way. You have to make a deal with the Lord. Say, I want to become a speaker. Do you speak? I want to be an evangelist. Do you evangelize? I want to see healing manifest. Do you pray for the sick? I want to be a musician. Do you practice? You know? I want to be a business person. Are you preparing? You know? I mean, I don't know. Pick one. I'm just giving you generic topics. Make a deal with the Lord. We're destroyed. So Jesus answered him and said to them, your error. So here's the problem, right? So here's this, here's this story in Matthew. Jesus has all these Sadducees. The people are anemic. So Jesus comes on the scene. The people, say it with me, the people were expecting, come on, say that. They had an expectation, but they were anemic. Anemic. And the reason that they were anemic was because their teaching was anemic. And those who led them were anemic. And they come to Jesus and they ask him a question. And Jesus looks at the Sadducees and he said, your problem is twofold. He said, you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. It's not onefold, it's twofold. It's knowing the word and the being able to manifest the power that is associated with the word of God. That's what he's telling them. And because you can't do it, the people can't do it. Everything flows from the top, Christian. The anointing comes down over the head. It's the way it works, right? And so there's an anemicness. We are ignorant of the kingdom and his word and his power. God wants us to manifest his kingdom. He paid with blood for you to have it. And I came to the place not long ago, a few years back, and I'm like, man, if Jesus paid for me to have that, I ought to have a little more respect for this. If Jesus paid for me to have that, then I ought to honor it more. The destiny, the calling, the kingdom, the Holy Spirit. He paid with his blood for you to have the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? It's part of the atonement. It says, to my bet, to your benefit that I go, for if I don't go the Holy Spirit. Now the church is like, whoa, Holy Spirit. Or we want to define the Holy Spirit and tell him who he is. Man, let, the Holy Spirit doesn't need, you, doesn't need any help. Let me tell you that right now. He'll show you who he is. <laughs> in glory and in power. And they answered him. They said, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage. How are you going to make us free? Say it with me. The worst kind of bondage is the one I can't see. Right? The worst bondage in the world is the one you're completely unaware of. The Bible says this to those who don't know Jesus. It says, if this gospel, if this message is hidden, it is hidden to those who are perishing, whom the God of this world has blinded their eyes. Right? They cannot see the good news, the good news of the glory of Christ, who is the express image of, Jesus, of God. The gospel's hidden. There's a world that doesn't even know they're in bondage. There are people who don't think they need Jesus. They need, I don't know, L. Ron Hubbard. They need Oprah. They need Dr. Phil. Nothing wrong with Dr. Phil. 
They give you some good counsel every now and then, you know? They don't believe they need Jesus. Who told you that? It's a bondage that you're in. You're lost, you're hopeless and helpless without Christ. If you don't know Jesus, you can't save yourself. You're hopeless and helpless. The only one that makes us free is Jesus. And here it is, John 8. If the Son makes you free, oh, come on. Then, oh, yeah. And you will be free in every way. It's through and through. God's intent for our lives is that we would be free through and through, right? And so this freedom that we experience in Jesus, it's not a one-time thing, right? It's not once. God has called us into a lifestyle of freedom where we begin to achieve areas within our life that manifest greater levels of freedom. Anybody want that? Well, I received Jesus, I'm free. You know, yeah. If we look at the church, right, are we really free? Are we? Right? I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> and I've had to go, hold on a second here. So this doesn't match this. So why doesn't this match this? And so I had to, you know, figure that out. Freedom comes through Jesus. We're redeemed, right? So this word redeemed, so this is biblical language. The idea in the Old Testament, or the old, sin looks like this. Adam sold us all into sin. Right? Adam got a mirror, he got to worship himself, and he traded the glory of God. And so Adam sold his, we're all born of Adam, so we're all of the bloodline of Adam. You want to know what this looks like? Adam sinned. Adam separated himself. Adam is the fountainhead of all humanity. All blood on the earth flows through Adam. All of us are born of Adam, therefore all of us are born in sin. That's why we must be born again, right? Born not of the blood of Adam, but of the blood of you get the picture? And so when we're born of Adam, we're under sin. When we get born again in Christ, we're no longer under anything. We're in Jesus. We are in him. He doesn't just put, put us under him. He puts us in him. And so this is this concept of redemption. So Jesus buys back the ones who have sold themselves into sin. And when you give your life to Christ, you come out of the bloodline of Adam spiritually and you come into the bloodline of Christ and you become born again. Heaven never recognizes you anymore as a descendant of Adam. You're a descendant of Christ. You're in Christ Jesus. So when spiritually, when the Lord, when heaven looks at you, you are not of the earth. You are of heaven. That's why you have to see yourself differently because heaven doesn't see you that way. You have to see yourself as heaven sees you. You're born again. You're heirs. You're, you're sons and daughters. That's what you are. And you have to see yourself that way. Freedom is not a one-time process. Freedom from sin is a one-time process. Say this with me. Freedom from sin is a one-time process. But freedom from the lingering effects of sin is a lifetime commitment. Right? We get born again. We're following Jesus. Everything's new. But the lingering after effects of that life seem to follow us, don't they? That's a lifetime commitment. We have to make reclamation in areas of our lives. Amen. Amen. It is an absolute and resolute commitment to freedom. So let's just look at this. Redemption. Jesus paid for what? What did he pay for? So redemption means paid, right? So Jesus paid for sin. Jesus paid for sickness and disease. Jesus paid for poverty. Jesus paid for oppression. Jesus paid for fear. Jesus paid for lack, and Jesus paid for want. You say, you got any verses, Pastor? I got lots of them. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that you might be the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Sin's paid for. What do we got next? Sickness and disease. Well, let's just do an easy one. By his stripes you are healed. Right? He paid for, a, this, is, this is the purpose of the manifestation of the Son of God, to openly destroy the works of the devil. Sin, sickness, poverty. He became poor so that you might become 
Yes, rich. Where are we? Fear. Perfect love casts out fear. In Christ, you're perfectly loved, are you not? Right? Fear has no place in you. Fear has no authority over you. There's no authority. Fear has power, but fear doesn't have authority. And that's another story. Hopefully, I can get to it. Lack. My God shall supply all my needs, right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will, he will give you the... Right, so lack and want. He's provided a way for you to have all of that. And say, well, how does that work? It works through relationship. And again, that's another teaching, but I wanted you to grab it conceptually. You have to realize and appropriate this by all means necessary. You have to recognize that Jesus paid the price for this stuff, and you have to appropriate this in your life by all means necessary. That's what I told that guy in the room. You can have what you're asking for, but you have to appropriate yourself by all means necessary into the thing that he told you you could have. He's not making deals with you. You're making a deal with him, right? So he's not going to negotiate this thing on your terms. You have to give yourself to his terms. You can have it. You can have it. Where's Charmaine? What are they going to take? What are they going to do to you? They're going to take your, you, this is just recent. I could give you more, but she's in the room so she can testify and you guys can make it, understand it. We don't make this stuff up. This is real. They're going to take your uterus out, weren't they? They're going to give you a full hysterectomy, right? She's on the phone, she's in the hospital, she's had all these different things. I got another word for you at the end, though, so come see me. But anyway, I've got to talk fast. Here we go. I'm going to talk fast. So I have her on the phone, she's in the hospital, I'm praying for her. I'm like, is that your inheritance? Is your inheritance to lose your uterus? Did Jesus tell you you need to lose your uterus? No, that's not true. I said, who's telling you this? I said, we're going to appropriate what is yours by right of inheritance, by all means necessary, and we're going to press into the healing anointing that is yours by right of inheritance. We're going to go all in with what we have. And did they take your uterus? No, they did not. You went to the specialist and they said, what are you here for? Because they couldn't even find the reason why they sent her there. You understand that? Right. Right. There's a girl that was healed on Easter here. I would tell you with the brain, she came back. She came one time. I talked to her. She's a little skittish on the whole thing, but she barely knows the Lord. She's got a lot of damage, a lot of brokenness in other ways, but the girl can still run. Remember I told you the girl had the, da- had the brain damage? She couldn't run, right? She couldn't run. She kept falling over. I said, what do you, I'll tell you the long story, but I felt the Lord asked me, of all the things that are wrong with you, what's the first thing that comes to you? And she said, I can't run. She had had a lot of trauma and a lot of damage. I'm like, okay. So that's, I guess, where Jesus wants to go. So we laid hands on her, the whole deal, prayed for her, and the girl's running. Easter Sunday, up and down the hallway. She came back. I said, are you still running? She said, I am. She said, I still have all these, I got a lot of these other issues. Well, yeah, you got a lot of other issues. There's a lot of brokenness and a lot of damage in her life, not just physically. There's emotional, there's a lot of stuff. It's not a one-shot deal, Christian. It's an appropriation by all means necessary over the course of a lifetime, and your life will shift. You have to appropriate what he gave you. The devil, say this with me. You're going to love this. Somebody's going to write this down. They're going to go, I'm not too sure it's true. Yeah, you're going to see it true. Say this. The devil has power, but no authority over the believer. He has power over you, but he has no authority. (gasps) He has no power over me. Really? Have you looked at your life? Have you seen it? His power is based on one of two things. The rights that he claims towards you the legal rights that he has of, un, of, of whatever his claim is. And the second one is an unwillingness or an ignorance or an arrogance of the believer to not appropriate their authority. The devil will sit on your couch and eat Doritos until you kick him off. Right? Oh, Jesus wouldn't do that. Really? Right? Or the devil will sit on your couch and continue to raid your cupboard and take everything from you until you demand by what right he has. 
What is the right that you have to pillage my household? He has a right. He can't do anything but by right. The devil just isn't randomly making this up, Christian. When you have patterns in your life, it's not because the devil is just randomly making something up. His power is manifested based upon a right. A lie, something unbroken, something generational. There's a lot of different things that are going on there. A lot of different things. I had a woman here. She goes, and this is Miami, so you guys will all relate to this. She goes and uh, uh, does a Santeria blessing over her marriage. <gasps> Christian. Yep. Yep. And she's wondering. Now, all of a sudden, she's hearing all these whacked out voices. All these crazy voices are talking to her. Right? And she doesn't know why. And I'm like, did you do anything? She's like, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything. And I'm like sitting there and I could feel the Lord. I'm like, what's going on? And the Lord goes, invocation. And I said, I feel like there's something that you invoked. And she's like, oh, no, no, I didn't do that. And I'm asking the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, well, maybe she, she seems really convincing. Maybe she didn't. And the Lord says to me, she's lying. And I looked at her and I said, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me you're lying. And she goes, okay, I went to the window and I did all of this. <laughs> But we broke it. She doesn't hear it anymore. It's gone. But you just ushered him right through the door. Christian, he has no authority. If you give it to him, he's got it. And if you haven't broken things off your life and there's willful things in your life that you haven't broken, he claims that as authority. You say, what is it? I have no idea. But it can be understood. It can be discovered. You can know it. Rights that he claims, ignorance and unwillingness. The activation of the believer's authority releases God's ability. God's ability will not activate or will not be released until you activate your authority. God has given you authority. He's given you authority. You have to use it. If you don't use your authority, it's not going to happen. You have to use your authority. This woman, the same woman asked me, she's sitting in there. She goes, you don't hear voices? I go, I don't hear one voice. And I said, and if a devil speaks to me, I demand to know by what right you speak. I'm a son of the highest. You have no right to speak to me in any uncertain terms. I know who I am, so claim your right. They can't speak to you on any certain terms, Christian. So if you're hearing voices, you're feeling impressions, or if there's atmospheres, because that's the other thing the devil creates is atmospheres. There's atmospheres of confusion. There's atmospheres of fear. There's atmospheres of depression that's over you, around you all the time. There's a right associated with it. Doesn't mean it has to stay, but there is something associated. I don't believe that. Well, keep crazy. That's what I tell people. I'm not out to convince anybody of what I know to be true. I know it's true. Nonetheless, you have to exercise your authority. By what right do you speak to me? By what right? And if you can't get it, that you'll get it from the Holy Spirit. Most Christians can't commune with the Holy Spirit, so they don't even understand how he talks. The Lord will tell you. You might need a little coaching, right? That's okay. We'll coach you. We'll teach you how to hear the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to light you up like a Christmas tree, and you're going to be hearing him in technicolor. You're going to hear him on 89.7, 90.3, 105.9. You're going to hear him on all frequencies because you can. My sheep hear my voice. Genesis 27. I'm going to close here. So what happens, right? So this is what we're called to. God has called us to walk with him. God has called us to the people to believe in him. He has called us to not quit. He has called us to take his word and integrate it. And when we begin to do that, we will experience truth. And when we experience truth, truth will bring freedom. And people say, well, how, do, how, how come I don't have it? I'm going to tell you right now. Genesis 27, right? So here's the story. In the book of Genesis. It's about blessing, but you're going to see what's going on here. Esau comes to his father and he says, do you not have a blessing for me? So here's the deal. Esau would not take his rightful place. 
Esau was, again, one of the many Frank Sinatras of Scripture who liked to do it his way. Esau despised his birthright. Hmm? Despised his birthright. Called to be an heir. Called to manifest kingdom. Called to do a lot of things. But he sold his identity for portions of meat. He denied who he was for carnal pleasure. <laughs> Every time he sold out the Lord for selfish ambition. He sold out the Lord for what he wanted. And he found himself on the backside. And he goes to his father and he says, do you have a blessing for me? Say it with me. Jesus always has a blessing for you. Doesn't matter if you're near or far. God's got something good. So here's Esau in a complete shot out state. And his father prophesies over him. And he says, your dwelling will be in the fatness of the earth and the dew of heaven. You are going to be in an abundant environment, Esau. The, pr the prophetic word over your life is abundance. But you will not be able to access it. Why? Because you'll buy, you by your sword, you will live. You're living by your own way. You cannot access this abundance that's around you. You cannot access the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth because you live by your own way. Crickets. And you shall, be your, you shall serve your brother. In other words, you will be beneath your circumstances. Your circumstances will always be above you. And it shall come to pass that when you become restless, everybody say restless, that you will break the yoke off of your neck. When you get sick and tired of being sick and tired, then and only then can you break that yoke off your neck. When you begin to get sick and tired and realize that your ways are not giving you access to the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, and you get tired of that, then and only then will you break the yoke off your neck. Sounds like Galatians 4. I say to you, the heir, so long as they are a child... It's no different than a slave, though they are masters of all. It's under stewards and guardians until the time appointed by the Father. Same thing. Same exact word. You're heirs, but you are no different than slaves because you continue to act in infantile, immature ways. You cannot access the inheritance and the blessing that belongs to you because you don't want to live by his way. You want to live in childish, insufficient ways. Doesn't mean Esau wasn't loved. Esau was loved. Lord said, you got, an, you got dew of heaven over you, brother. You got the fatness of the earth around you, but you can't get to it. Why? Because you live by you. You determine your authority. Your sword determines the way. Your decision makes the way, and you can't access it. Same thing in Galatians. You're, you're, though you are masters of all, we can't get there. So what's the rule? We have, what's the rule? Well, when we're fed up, when we take our rightful place, we learn and apply truth with discipline, then we begin to experience truth, and truth brings that freedom, Christian. You want a message of freedom today? I'm giving you one, right? You can have freedom, right? God wants you to be free. He doesn't want you to be that way, but it's going to require some things from you, right? Say it with me. The problem is always on my side. The problem is never on the Lord's side. Never. The problem is with you. Always. There's something you don't see. There's something you don't understand. There's willfulness. There's some way. There's ignorance. There's arrogance in there some way. That's why you can't get where God has told you you can get. See, he just told Esau that. He tells the same thing to his church in Galatians. Same exact thing. And so when we begin to follow the Lord, we begin to do what he says, integrate it into his life, we experience truth. 
We experience reality. I'm going to bring this guy up here, and he's going to tell you. Two years ago, I was broke. I couldn't even pay my electric bill. He's going to tell you about where he is now. Right? What happens? He's doing what Jesus told him to do. It's his arena. It's what he feels called to. So I'm not putting anybody in that slot. It's what he feels called to, right? And he's experiencing what? Truth. Truth. And it's like, I know this works. Well, of course it works. It's not a bunch of mechanics. Jesus is the author of it, but you're going into his kingdom and you're drawing from his kingdom, the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, because you're operating according to his ways. So let me challenge you. Just end it today. Say, oh, man, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm not doing it my way anymore. I got no good ideas. Jesus is the only good idea I have. You get me? Right? And make a conscious effort that I'm going to begin to study his word, begin to learn his word, begin to take time, read the New Testament, begin to get the word in you, and begin to follow it in the most basic ways. Basic ways. We'll help you. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I just want to share with people at home, it begins about your current situation. Where does truth begin? Freedom and tr- freedom begins when you understand the truth of your current situation. And if you've never given your life to Christ, the truth about that current situation is that you are lost and you are separated and you cannot help yourself. We're all born with a problem and it's called a sin problem. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory or the goodness of God. That's a condition we are all born with. And it says that the wages of that sin, the penalty or the reward for us being in that condition is eternal separation from God with the gift of God. See, God loves us. He wants to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The gift of God is life eternal in Christ Jesus, the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life and the experiential knowledge of who he really is. He comes in you. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open my heart, I'll come in. Open your heart. I'll come in and I'll commune with you. I'll be as one with you. So you say, how do I do it? The Bible says this. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has risen from the dead. And if you do that, you'll be saved. You'll be translated out of darkness and into light. You'll come into Christ, forgiven, restored, and hope made new. We're going to pray together as a church. And if you're there watching us by live stream and anybody here in the room and has never prayed this prayer, today's your day. We pray as a family, right? So we're going to pray. All you got to do is open your heart and say it with your mouth, and Jesus will do the rest. So let's pray. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior, and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. And so I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you love, you did that, we honor you, we bless you. We have a prayer team that's available before we close. We have a prayer team. All y'all won't need prayer. We'll have a prayer team over here for prayer for any needs. And let me bless you one more time. Just receive this. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor. In Jesus' name. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. 